1: to answer your question top 20 it's just the start for maria she her game is has still so many areas she can improve and she's really just just starting i i know it it's going to happen She's, she's going to become a top 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 player
0: Welcome to the Lucky Letcord Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express and a proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. That voice you just heard was Tom Hill, the coach of Maria Sicari. probably know Tom Hill's name pretty well by now if you're a fan of the WTA Tour, but a few years ago, his future was very much in doubt. He was a promising college player, finishing up his tenure at Pepperdine and considering a career in law. It's funny how it all turns out sometimes and we're going to find out more about Tom Hill's journey from a young player in England crossed to the other side of the pond where he went to IMG Academy and then later to Pepperdine University and then how he finally got his break on the tour. A very interesting j- story about a circuitous route to the pros and of course now he's one of the top young coaches in the game. Just 25 years of age has already coached American Danielle Collins, and oversaw a rapid rise up the rankings for Collins in 2018. And then he's taken the helm now for Maria Sakari. At first, he was an assistant under Thomas Johansson, uh, but now he's the full-time coach of Maria Sakari, who is, if you don't know, a top 20 player. So exciting to talk with Tom Hill, who is still at home in England, waiting out the quarantine and very anxious to get back on tour, get back over to Greece and start training with Sakari. In the meantime, we've got a lot to learn about this promising young coach on the WTA Tour. So let's get right to that interview with Tom Hill. Hey, Tom Hill. I'll call you Coach Hill. Tom Hill. I don't know. What do you like to be called? Tom's fine. (laughs) Tom, it's really a a great pleasure to speak with you today. I'm I'm psyched to have you on the podcast and to chat a little bit about your career. I mean, you're just uh, 25 years old, is that correct?
1: That's correct. Well, first, thanks for having me. But yes, I'm I'm just 25 years old, so I'm I'm pretty young.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. Um, Your story is really quite remarkable, and I wanted to start the podcast by having you tell us a little bit about... Your tennis roots and whatnot as, as, um, as far as uh, as far as I know, one day you're a striker on the football pitch, your coach wants you to change to defense, you quit you quit football, and uh, a tennis career begins.
1: To be fair, that's pretty spot on. Um, I will say that when I was younger i I loved all sports, so I played a bit of everything. and I would say the main two sports were obviously football or soccer and tennis. Um but football was my main passion at the time. And like you said, I had an argument with my football coach and that kind of turned into me being a bit of a rebel and saying time for tennis. That's so
0: funny. So you you did have a racket in your hand before that that um that moment, that pivotal moment in your career. Yeah, yeah I I
1: I played. Yeah, correct. I'd played bits and bits and bobs, but um I wasn't really too serious at any sport. It was more like I played everything and i think that was, that was a very positive thing but from that kind of that moment on it was like okay i'm just gonna commit my time to tennis
0: mm. take me through it a little bit so you, you get serious about it at home which is in in birmingham england
1: correct yeah birmingham england sully hall to be precise
0: okay cool and that and that, that eventually takes you to img academy and then oh, also i think it might have been called the nick Terry academy then a legendary place so that must have been a pretty amazing experience for you
1: yeah that's correct at the time it was the nick Bollettieri tennis academy and i was around uh, 10 years old when you know my family made the big sacrifice to allow me to go there i had actually been to the nick Bollettieri academy i think either two or three times i think it was two times prior to that but i'd gone with kind of my club mm-hmm. the uh, that i was playing at in the uk and I'd gone as like a short time student, so I'd been for a week or two weeks, so I already had an idea of what the Nick Bollettieri Tennis Academy was like, so that's kind of it helped me realize that okay, it'll be a fantastic opportunity for me to go there
0: yeah, it's like you show up you're 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 ten years old, you're in the the hotbed of American tennis, and you're doing pretty well as a junior. Uh, just give me a little bit of insight into what that experience is like for a young guy being at a place where, I mean, there's pros coming in and out, superstar pros, there's high level juniors, you're going to school, you're all of a sudden in Florida. And it seems like you as as a young guy were not homesick at all. It seems like you uh, you were enjoying the experience. I loved every
1: single minute of it. But, you know, when, when I listen to you say that I do think, wow, 10 years old, that's really young. But at the same time, I, I look at it as if I didn't go at 10 years old, I wouldn't be where I am today because my tennis wouldn't have been a main focus or priority that I wouldn't have got to the level that I did. I would have got distracted in other sports and maybe I would be back playing football. So, kind of that commitment to going at 10 really helped me kind of dedicate my time to tennis. Mm.
0: And what, what was it like there at the academy? Your, what were your days like? Who were some of the, um, the big-name players that you got to kind of rub up against and, and get inspired by?
1: There was kind of two uh, separate groups of, of kind of players that I got inspired by. You had the slightly younger group, which was – they were at the time were maybe 16 to 18 years old, and that would be like Kei Nishikori, Gastar Ilias, Filip Krajinovic – all of those sort of youngsters who were just starting to make a name for themselves on the junior tour and you know when i'm 10 11 12 years old i was like whoa these guys are heroes but at the same time you had the group ahead of them who were the i guess you could say legends of the sport like tommy haas and taylor dent and and on the female side you had maria sharapova and, and there were many many players who were in and out at the time
0: wow yeah We'll get, we'll get to Sharapova a little bit because I know you had spent some time with her as a hitting partner so 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 things progressed well you you had a good junior career eventually you made the break from IMG started traveling I believe you went to Argentina a bit and then back to Europe back home to England and and were' in hot pursuit of you know tennis career at that point and, and p- potentially thinking about making the ATP tour and you you did obviously pick up some ATP points you had it pretty nice one and there's the package <laughs> yeah um no worries for me
1: that. it was <laughs> sorry yeah i was wondering what that noise was. just shutting the window um yeah so obviously my my goal was to to become a professional player myself and kind of i dedicated all my time to trying to be the best the best player that i i could be but i guess it doesn't always kind of turn out that way um when I came when I left IMG I went to Argentina and that was full-time training for my tennis and then obviously moving back to Spain full-time training for my tennis Um, but then I got a, a bit of a back injury when I was 17 18 which kind of put a little stop on my on my progress it wasn't the reason why I didn't wasn't able to get to the top of the game but it was kind of right when I was starting to feel good about my game it kind of slowed slowed down the program. I missed a whole year because of that back injury. And that was kind of when I made the decision with my parents, let's go to college. At the time, I was thinking, let's go for one year, because I'll be dead honest, at the time, I was thinking going to college means you're not going to become a professional player. And I was so desperate to be, become a player that to me, college was a, was a fail. It wasn't an option because there weren't too many players who went to college and came out as a professional. Obviously, you had John Isner and Kevin Anderson, but they're also six foot six, maybe taller, mm. with massive serves. I wasn't like that, so that that was kind of my my mindset. And then when I went to college, I kind of realized quickly that well, one, the level of college tennis is fantastic, but at the same time, after a year or two, I realized you know my level probably isn't going to be high enough to really make a living in the sport. Yes, I'll be high enough to, to to get to, I don't know, top three, 400 in the world, which is still a fantastic ranking. But to to make a living, I'd say you have to be 150 or better. So kind of halfway through my college career, I decided tennis is probably going to stop uh, once once I graduate.
0: Mm. Can you... Before we take go through that thought process a little bit, can you describe to me Tom Hill, the player?
1: Are you talking more kind of my style or my mindset?
0: Both, actually, would be interesting.
1: Okay, so my kind of style of play was, if I compare it to an ATP player, it was very much like a David Ferrer or someone. I didn't have any major weapons, but at the same time, I didn't have any weaknesses. I was very fit. I could run. I played like a counter-attacking style. Mm. But I didn't have that kind of big serve like John Isner or Fernando Gonzalez forehand. It was more I was very solid everywhere and I won a lot of matches more from just breaking down my opponent physically.
0: Yeah.
1: Mentally-wise, I'll be completely honest, I was very weak. Um, which, looking back, it's if I'm thinking from a coaching perspective, yeah. I honestly think it helped me because I now can look back and think I was like this. It was the wrong way to be. So, if I'm ever you with Maria or before with Danielle, any sort of time they show a negativity, I'm able to quickly relate to me being like, "Oh, that wasn't a very good idea." Don't don't do that. Do this instead. Things that I was like, I should have done that. Yes. So, I think that that did kind of help me. But I, I mentally, I was I was, I'm not going to say weak but I I wasn't very strong
0: Mm, but you were you were aware of it and forced to to look at it and was it a struggle for you that you think a part of your game and psyche that you wanted to improve
1: it was something that I was always yeah it was something I was always looking to Uh I I was working on it all the time but it's just it's not it's not so easy to to really improve I would put too much pressure on myself I in, in practice I put too much focus on results of practice matches instead of developing my game for competitive matches yeah. and sort of that sort of philosophy that I had, which was really just cause I just wanted to win no matter whether it was a practice match or a tournament match. It really kind of peaked my game to a point where I, I couldn't develop any further cause I wasn't willing to take any chances.
0: Mm. And when you looked around, did you see other players having different mental processes that um, you looked at and said, oh, you know what, they, they maybe have it right, and, and I should think about it more that way.
1: Completely honest, at the time, I didn't know what was right and what was wrong. Yeah. I, I took it all very seriously. When I think of perhaps the players my age who ended up making it, like Kyrios, Kyle Edmund, those guys, they kind of had a little bit more of a, I'm just going to play my style and whatever will be, will be. And I'm just going to kind of have fun doing it. Yeah. So maybe that was, that is the secret. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But um, it, it's very tough to say at the time.
0: Yeah. And maybe those weapons you refer to that you, you say that you lack and that a guy like Kyrgios and a guy like Kyle Edmund with that massive forehand, th- th- that has to make it a lot easier on a player, a young player to maybe relax at, as they develop.
1: Definitely. But even as a coach now, I don't want people to kind of listen to this and believe, oh, I need to have weapons if I want to make it on tour, because you really don't. You have to understand your strengths, your game style, and come up with a, a style of play that best fits that that kind of strategy. Because for me, there are many there are many players in the top 100 that have different styles. If I'd have continued my kind of counter-attacking no major strength but but really no major weakness Mm -hmm. I really believe you can make it that way obviously if you have a Kyle Edmund forehand or a Kyrgios serve it it makes your life a lot easier but I I think a mistake some coaches make is they kind of brainwash players into believing you need to hit your forehand 150 miles an hour if you're going to make it it's it's not really like that. You have to know what your strengths are and develop a strategy and style that fits that.
0: Yeah, very cool. Very interesting. And and if we fast forward for a second, I mean, you've been the coach now of Daniel Collins and Maria Sakari in the last, say, two, three years. They've had a tremendous success in the WTA Tour. But none of this was guaranteed for you because as you're finishing up at Pepperdine, you're really not sure what you're going to do. And if it hadn't been for... A phone call from Super Agent Max Eisenbud to get you back to IMG. Maybe you're not a professional tennis coach today.
1: Absolutely, I, I've told many people if I didn't receive that phone call, I definitely wouldn't be where I am today. Because I'll be completely honest, becoming a, a coach was never something I was I was thinking about. I was if. I was actually looking and, and applying, and actually I got accepted into law school. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the direction I saw myself going. But that phone call changed things completely.
0: Tell us about it. How, how it developed.
1: So, if I go to the very beginning, it was I. I was I'd finished competing for Pepperdine but I was in the summer finishing off my degree I had a few more credits I had to complete and I was kind of treating that summer as if it was as if I was a regular student because I'd spent the whole kind of my college career being a student athlete and trying to fit in tennis and school and that summer I I kind of made the deal with myself that now tennis was over I was going to do my studying I took my academics very seriously but I wanted to really live like a college life and go out and party and kind of just go full mode into yes. that. So I was going, I was going to bars almost four or five times a week. It was excessive, but at the time I was having a lot of fun. So we do have and something in common. <laughs> 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 but um, but but one night I was at a bar in Santa Monica and I bumped into an old teammate of mine. He was asking me what I was planning on doing, and I said honestly, I'm not sure, perhaps law school. And he said, well, if you're in doubts at the moment, why don't you try becoming a hitting partner? And I was kind of like, you know, not many players on the WTA tour actually have hitting partners anymore. Maybe that was kind of five to ten years ago that was more common. But really, if you're not Serena Williams or Maria Sharapova, you didn't really have a hitting partner. And he was like, well, this agent keeps texting me, but I don't want to do it. How about I give him your number? Turns out that agent was Max Eisenberg. Wow. And a few weeks later, I got a phone call from him.
0: To, to go to IMG and, and have a hit with Maria. Exactly. So he,
1: he called me and was like, um, can, you, can you come to, to Florida IMG Academy to hit with Maria Sharabova? And the first thing that went through my mind is obviously I said, absolutely. I had a moment of panic I'm thinking I haven't touched a racket for three months yeah. I'm probably out of shape I don't even know if I can still hit a clean ball because it was the first kind of time where I'd taken you know a large amount of time away from tennis so I remember the night before or flying to Florida I was like calling like anybody in like the, the California like Malibu area can I hit with you I need a hit urgent so <laughs> I hit I hit with one of my my friends and uh, that was when I was like, okay, I can still hit the ball; I'll be fine. Yeah. And I flew to Florida, hit with Sharapova. It went great, and obviously, Sharapova still had Kuznetsov, her her coach, hitting partner. Right before she retired, uh, he had a, a medical emergency or something, or as if his his fiance or, or I can't remember the exact details, but she needed someone just for for a few days while he was unavailable. And that was kind of how it, how it worked out for me. Um, Maria Sharapova enjoyed the hit, recommended to Max that they keep me at IMG to be a hitting partner for all their other clients. And that's kind of... Obviously, there I met Danielle. Uh, Danielle wasn't assigned signed IMG player. She was allowed to use the facility because she's from St. Petersburg. Um, I actually wasn't allowed to hit with Danielle. I was allowed... But my focus had to be more the signed IMG players. Right, right. And if I had free time after that, I could play with Danielle. And Danielle was such a lovely girl and she would keep she was persistent, kept asking to practice with me. So I just I'd hit for three, four, five hours with the IMG signed players and then make extra time to hit with Danielle, who at the time was around two hundred and fifty in the world. Mm-hmm
0: we could backtrack for a moment I I listened to your interview with Ben Rothenberg on the no challenges remaining podcast and uh, I really enjoyed the section where you describe a little bit about Maria Sharapova how professionally is because I think I think there's a lot of negativity negativity around Maria uh, after the doping issues and I think her legacy is has been a little bit tarnished, and I think people tend to forget. Or you know, there's there's haters out there. Let's say, and I I think that hearing you talk about how professional she was really kind of reminded me of what kind of a special athlete this was. And um, it, it struck you, I think, that was kind of a formative experience for you in terms in terms of the being enlightened by just what it takes to be that level of professional.
1: Absolutely. And. I, I've always and I always will have so much respect for Maria Sharapova. She's she's an idol in, in the game and just the opportunity I had to hit with her was something that I'll never forget. But, yeah, what struck me was her professionalism. It was it was something I've never experienced. It was, She would, well, I was told ahead of time, uh, she won't talk to you. It's not because she's being rude or disrespectful. She just enters her bubble or her zone and she she'll have an unbelievable practice but she'll talk to you after the practice and at the time I was like okay that's fine I was just really hoping that I gave her a good practice and she we had the practice and then she would come up to me afterwards and it was like she flicked a switch and she goes from Maria the phenomenal superstar to Maria just a regular a regular person who's taking an interest in in me and i was a, I, I still am I'm, I'm a nobody but she was she took five to ten minutes out of her day each time to, to talk to me and i was like wow this is amazing
0: yeah she's uh a, she's a, a driven human being that must have been an interesting experience for sure
1: she 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 really is
0: and so this IMG experience, so again, you're 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 close to being out of the game. You get the call from Max, you come to IMG, you start working with all these players, you're and and at that point you get this relationship going with Daniel Collins, and then eventually it takes you to a couple tournaments with her, but still you're almost nearly out of the game. And I believe you're signed up for an advertising gig with McCann Erickson when she finally calls you again, and then something special begins. Is that correct? Do I have it right?
1: You have it spot on. So Danielle had a problem with her coach. Uh, He had some visa issue. So he couldn't go to two tournaments in Japan. So I told Danielle that I would help her with those two tournaments. But that was sort of it. It was just those two tournaments. I would then fly back home. She would go back to the States after those two tournaments. And, you know, real life would begin for me. Uh, That was when I uh, was trying to get into law school got accepted but then realized that i wouldn't be allowed a student loan because it was postgraduate so that's when i was like okay i need a job to get some money to then pay for the law school the following year because i deferred it nice. so i accepted the job with mccann erickson and then on december 23rd i remember because it was like a couple of days before christmas danielle calls me crying she's finished with her coach and and needs someone to travel with and i remember i only asked her one question i was just do you want me as a hitting partner or as a coach? Because to me it's a, it's a big difference hitting partner or coach. And she told me, no, I want you as a coach. And then I actually remember telling her I was like, just so you know, I have no experience as a coach. I've done two tournaments with you, but if, if you're willing to, to, to give it a go, I'll be all in, I'll be a hundred percent. And she was like, no, I, those two tournaments in Japan, I really thought we, we connected well. And, Let's give it a shot and and that's kind of where the where the journey started
0: and this is this is the start of twenty eighteen
1: yeah, this was we flew to Auckland, and that was the first tournament of the twenty eighteen season
0: wow, fantastic, and then if you look at twenty eighteen something must have been going on because quickly she comes back, she goes to Newport beach, wins a title stuff happens at Indian Wells she's into the round of 16 with a win over Madison Keys into Miami I know you've talked about a huge win over Venus Williams semi-final appearance the ranking goes from 162 to by the time you hit the clay you're in the top 50 I mean this is crazy you must be it must what are you going through at that point how do you, how are you processing this
1: Yeah I actually think kind of after Rome she she was 39 in the world yeah. her, her rise was it was unbelievable and I always knew Danielle had the level, even though people kind of doubted her and I was even told by many people, you know, she's not gonna get to this ranking and blah blah blah. But I remember hitting with her and thinking, no, she's she's special. She's she's a really top player. I just need to help her understand how to get that level onto the match court. Mm. And yeah, that that twenty eighteen season just helped her tweak a few things mentally, a few things strategically, and just by drilling it and drilling it and drilling it and working extremely hard, the success came really quickly.
0: Mm. You, what would you credit the, the, the game? Okay, you talk about the game being there, and then what would you say about your relationship with Danielle and they facilitated the, the positive energy and the move up in the rankings and, and the successes?
1: I think me being young, I was actually a year young year, year or two, I think one year younger than Danielle, I'm not sure. Yeah. I think me being younger and just my general personality of being very calm, very positive, I really think that helped her. Um, she was able to open up to me, not just, just about tennis things, but also about life things. And I could relate to her with certain things. And I think just her being able to get some of that off-court stuff out of her mind. Along with me, kind of being able to hit with her, tell her, okay, when you hit this shot, I'm not really under any pressure at all. Try this. Yeah. She tries it. Okay, I'm feeling that, that. That's tough now. I'm thinking, if I'm feeling under pressure, Danielle's opponents are going to feel under pressure. Mm-hmm. So it was just that kind of training style that we just did over and over and over again. And she said, well, it, it helped when you start to see success because then you're like okay it's working and you buy into it and then it just repeats over and over and over again
0: and here's here's what I find fascinating and and one of the things that I wanted to talk with you about in this podcast is the job security with coaches on tour in general it can things can happen fast and then they can be over and what I don't understand and I, I mean I do understand on some levels is that how you can have so much success and have it be over so quickly as it was with her
1: I guess as a coach on, on tour and WTA, ATP, even ITF, there is no security unless you're a superstar coach where you can get some lucrative contract. Yes, It's rare to have a contract. And I guess it's just something you have to accept that I learned immediately with Danielle that you even when you're having success that other people are thinking, wow, like, look how well they're doing, it can end just as quickly as you get the job you can lose the job yeah
0: and and you're 22 23 at the time things did end you land on your feet you hook up with maria sakari and, and i've heard her name pronounced sakari sakari can you can you confirm well, how do you pronounce it
1: i say sakari
0: sakari um, and she's okay with that just to clarify she, she
1: she's okay. With it. Uh, she's never told me don't say Sakari. Uh, okay.
0: Okay, but to be honest,
1: I, I call it sack attack.
0: Sack attack. Yeah, that's a good one for me too. Um, so yeah, so you land on your feet, you, you, you hook up with Maria as a, an assistant coach, Thomas Johansson is there. He's a he's a mentor to you. And at this point, you're all in on the coaching and things are starting to really click. And well, it doesn't sound like the the dream job, getting an, a, an assistant coach job with Maria, it was it was something that you really wanted and, and above other opportunities, and it obviously has been a good experience for you. Working with Maria, also working with uh, Thomas Johansson, who has helped you a lot. So, can you you tell me a little bit about the the story of you guys clicking together and and how it's kind of evolved over the last what, year, two years now, almost?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So when I finished with Danielle, it was Wimbledon of two thousand and eighteen. I posted a thing on Instagram just kind of thanking Danielle for the journey uh, because I really did have a great time coaching her uh, it was then when i i received I honestly thought this was it I wasn't going to receive anything i 'm twenty three years old. no other player is going to be interested in me, but within twenty four hours of of posting that post, I had like four or five job offers, and I was like whoa this is this is incredible." Mm. And out of all the offers I kind of looked through them and I just thought wow I, I, Maria Sakari I remember watching her play against Monica Puig in Miami because if Danielle if if Maria had beat Monica Puig we would have played against her I remember thinking well this Maria Sakari's is a really really top player and so I always kind of in the back of my mind I was like okay this she could really really become something special and then Obviously, like you said, becoming from coach to assistant coach is going backwards. But just the opportunity to to work with Thomas Johansson, yes, for me that that was that was incredible. I'm thinking I've been thrown into coaching with Danielle. I've had a lot of success, but to be fair, taking a step backward and learning from Thomas Johansson, who is such an incredible player, but also such an incredible coach and such an incredible person. Yeah. For me, it was just an unbelievable opportunity.
0: I can imagine that was really, really important moment and an experience for you because, as you had mentioned on Ben's podcast, is that you were 22 and you weren't really accepted by some of your peers on tour. You were the young guy; people were giving you funny looks. And you know, I think it's important to state that there's a lot of young coaches now out there, and that you guys probably need each other and need to get information from one another but it's not always that easily accessible but with in thomas you got to really kind of like uh, i guess fine-tune your coaching chops would you say
1: absolutely but coaches don't share anything contour like no? we're true? friendly with everyone but but we don't we don't share um unless it's a coach that you are very comfortable with Yes, or if the coach has like an ulterior motive, right. they're not going to give you any of their notes. It's it's every coach for them themselves. But that's what was great for me working with Thomas, because I would I would just on my my notes on my phone, I would write down all the drills we did, like okay. so precise, so accurate. I would write down kind of how he does his pre-match talks, how he does his post-match talks. I would write everything because I was just, just gathering all this information as quickly as I could.
0: Wow. And where would you say you are, Tom, as, in terms of your potential as a coach at the age of 25 now?
1: I would definitely say I'm so much better than I was when I was 22. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I like to believe that as a coach you can always learn more you can always become a better coach if you get stuck in the mindset of you know i've had this success that now i'm a fantastic coach i think it's the wrong mentality the game is always evolving you have to always keep improving keep learning And i like to think that i can have a lot more success in the game i'm still young so i i mean the same as you ask a player what are your goals they say they want to be number one well I want to coach someone to number one. I want to coach someone to win slams. It's, I think it's the same same thing. Mm-hmm.
0: And let's talk about M- Maria and that Spartan mentality of hers. I mean, this is, I watched some of the her fitness videos on Instagram. I mean, this is a mind blowing athlete and and su- such a genuine and warm person. Such a talented athlete. I mean, how do you feel about her game and her potential to continue to develop even after making her top twenty debut um, fairly recently?
1: I mean coaching Maria Sakari, it's the dream for, for any coach. Not only is she such a hard worker, but she's also such a kind and genuine person. So just working with her it's honestly it's fantastic. But to answer your question, top twenty is just the start for Maria. She her game is has still so many areas she can improve and she's really just just starting. I I know it, it's going to happen. She's she's gonna become a top top top
0: player. Mm. And you mentioned some improvements and without being critical, um, more being positive, where is there? Where's the upside? I mean, at this level of elite tennis, hitting the top 20 is an amazing achievement in and of itself. But then how do you keep going higher? Where, Where do you think she can gain continue to gain ground?
1: i'm I'm not gonna say anything about her game because we've got to keep some things private, but yes, of course obviously, uh, <laughs> there's this like I said that she can she can improve all areas of her game, but at the t- same time, it's all kind of new experiences yes. for maria yes. she she's relatively new to playing at this top level, and every kind of s- slam or major tournament that we play, I can see her getting more and more comfortable with it. Yes. And once it becomes really comfortable, that's when the results are going to suddenly start to fly up, even higher than they already are.
0: Mm. What's your favorite thing about Maria Sakari, the player? The player? Yeah.
1: It's, it's her, if we forget about any of her work ethic and all of that stuff, it's her desire to constantly want to improve and better herself. I see it all the time with players and To be honest, this was my problem. You get comfortable with how your game is. And the idea of trying to improve certain weaknesses or try things that maybe you're not very good at are kind of, oh, I don't want to do that. I'm going to do what I'm comfortable with. But Maria is always asking me, What can I improve? How can I improve it? Okay, let's do it. Oh, it's a big change? No worries. Let's do it right now. I'm a quick learner. Let's do it. It's that sort of drive that it's inspiring, really. And it makes me want to just keep working harder and harder because I'm like, she wants to keep improving. So let's keep helping her improve. And and that also, that kind of, she's also incredible at never settling. She has a goal she reaches the goal. She's always done it. Yeah. And then she's immediately setting another goal. It's not like, okay, let's celebrate that I hit this goal. It's okay. Maybe we didn't set the target high enough. Now let's set yeah, an even right. higher target. And
0: that's pretty cool. And a
1: higher target. And it's just that relentless, that relentless kind of just pushing herself and pushing herself. That's what, why I know she's going to become one of the best players.
0: How are you guys? This is such a tricky time. We've been, we've been off the tour since March basically. And it's, Jeez, what month is it even? It's it's June. How are you guys getting along, and how are you guys able to? I would assume that you want to keep growing and developing, and maybe like get a leg up on the competition at a time like this. So, can you tell me what it's like with you and Maria now? You guys are in different cities, communicating probably by via you know FaceTime or whatever.
1: It's it's not easy. Um, once Indian Wells finished and well didn't finish, but we had to fly fly back. I. I gave Maria, I don't know exactly how many weeks off, but a good amount of weeks off, because I, at the time I was thinking, okay, if the season does resume, we're probably going to go all the way through to December. So I thought, give her a break now, because otherwise she may not get a break. I was also thinking, we got unlucky towards the end of last season. We missed all the Asia swing from Maria being injured. So I just thought, a few weeks off, even though she she is healthy and touch wood she remains healthy,
0: yeah.
1: um, I just thought a, a few weeks rest can only give her body more time to just get extra healthy. Obviously, during this period, the the kind of the return date just keeps getting pushed back and back and back. And at this point, I don't even know. Anything about when the tour's going to resume? I just hear rumours and gossip, but unless I hear it from a reliable source, I just don't believe it. Yeah. The last few weeks, though, she started training. She's very lucky. Well, we are very lucky that we have a, a a great hitting partner in Athens who's who plays to a top level as well. And we're in constant. We have a group chat. I'm talking to Maria and the hitting partner every single day, planning the practice, checking how the practice goes talking to both of them and just trying to run the practices from afar, which is definitely difficult because yeah, yeah. if I can't see the the trainings and kind of see Maria's little reactions, yep. how her body's feeling, I have this kind of, cause I've worked with Maria now for almost two years. I can tell without even like talking to her, how she's feeling, how her body's feeling, how her, tennis is what what her mindset is I can tell everything just from literally just looking at her so not being able to see her is a challenge because I don't know if I should be pushing her harder or if she's already doing too much so I kind of just have to take both Maria and the hitting partner's words and just try to keep it going but at the same time practice has to be fun right now there's no point doing some crazy training because we don't know when the tour's going to resume and I know that at some point, I will be able to travel to Greece and give me six to eight weeks with Maria, and, and she'll be playing better than she was before the tour mm. stopped.
0: Yeah, so you can, in a, in a way, you can be patient right now because, you know, probably when, when things break, you'll have some time to really ramp it up. So now you can focus on a few things and get beyond court and maybe experiment a little bit.
1: Of course, you don't want any player to peak too soon you want to peak just at the right moment so keep it fun don't play for too long at the moment and once we have a date where it looks like okay things are going to return we plan backwards from that date and do a proper training block
0: a couple of questions tom how are you on time because i have a few more questions if you don't mind oh i i have as much time as you want oh this is fantastic and then maybe we'll circle back to maria but the talk about the coronavirus pandemic has kind of triggered a thought that I had about um, some of the stuff I've been reading. We've all heard about the player relief fund and how difficult it is for players. We've heard a little bit about the coaches as well. And Darren Cahill quoted saying that about 99% of the players absolutely have no income right now. So you have a pretty good situation, and I'm not going to ask you to really talk about that specifically. But as, as far as your peers, this has to be an immensely difficult time for the coaching ranks you talked earlier in the program about you know not the absence of long-term contracts. Um, what's it been like? What, what are you hearing? Are you in contact with anybody? And, and and you know what should what should the listeners and tennis fans know about the coaches right now?
1: It's very similar to what you mentioned about Darren Cahill. He's he's pretty accurate. Obviously, I only speak to three or four coaches who I'm friendly with. Mm-hmm. Of those coaches, I know coaches who are getting no pay. I know coaches who are still getting full pay. And I also know coaches who are getting 50% pay. So I don't. I think every single coach's position is, is different. I think it's difficult, obviously, that there's no contracts. So really, it's expected. I mean, a lot of coaches are going to be getting nothing. I think it's obviously tougher when you're working with of lower ranked players when perhaps they don't have as much financial stability to, to pay their coach during a a period like this. It's tough, Absolutely. but I, re- I really don't know what the solution is because yeah. we don't work for the WTA. We work privately for the player that, that wants us to, to work for them. So it's tough I really don't don't know what the solution is.
0: yeah I mean some sometimes it just seems like it's one of those things and you have to get through it. I just feel for maybe coaches who are uh, maybe have a lot of bills to pay and, and things aren't working out for them financially I mean we we tend to forget and we think well it's a great life and all that but you I mean you know you you have expenses you have bills to put to pay and and all of a sudden if your income stops and it stops for three months, maybe six months, maybe a year. Um, you could be in really big financial trouble. So I mean, that's why that's com- That's why the comments of Sam Sumich and, and about p- potentially having the coaches get together. And you're you're a young younger guy for sure. So maybe this isn't the top priority for you. But maybe down the road, the coaches need to find some way to alleviate these types of concerns. And, it, and to me, it's interesting how we talk about the players so much and their need. Um, And a lot of them are probably far better off than the coaches. It's
1: true. And I've read all the emails because all the coaches are in this big WTA chat trying to come up with ways and talking about creating a coaching union. I I read all of that. But at the same time, like I read one person's email, I'm like, oh, very valid points. And then another coach kind of counters that with the opposite. And I'm like, oh, that's valid too. I just don't know (laughs) what, what to think.
0: Yeah, it's tough, you're kind of forming, yeah, everybody's sort of forming an opinion and we don't know whether this is going to happen again, whether it's a one-off and, and or whether the, the, a new reality is gonna be, maybe the world's gonna be more difficult than we thought it was gonna be for the next 20 years, which is a very scary thought. I really hope not. Jeez, oh, I, I hope that also. So so back to Maria briefly, what, one thing that I find really interesting with her is the home court advantage that she has when she's in Australia, matches are just complete and utter chaos i wonder what your role is in terms of because you've talked a little bit about coaching you haven't said it and and put it this way but it seems like psychology is a part of your job a big part of your job and i wonder how you prepare maria for this kind of a situation because it can be it can be a big positive but it also can be a little bit of a negative with so much pressure so much hype when she's playing in front of these crazy greek fans in australia
1: I, I love those Greek fans oh in Australia. God. they're They're phenomenal. I love every single one of them. <laughs> but, like you said, it's 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 very, very difficult for Maria. I'd be lying if I told you that it's you only get she only gets positives from it. Yes, it can intimidate her opponent. It can also hype Maria, But at the same time, it can overhype Maria. It can make her overplay. It can make her, um, feel pressure of having to win for these fans it's also it's normally in the first or second round when you get like the hundreds of them because it's normally on an outdoor court once you get to like the stadium courts i remember we played on i think it was margaret court arena this year against madison keys mm-hmm. there was probably 10 of them in the stadium because they couldn't get tickets Yeah. So it's really just the first couple rounds. And the first couple rounds for every single player, even if you're Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, anyone, nerves are high because you don't want to lose early in a slam. You've put all this work in. You don't want to lose early. So the players are extra anxious, feeling pressure. And like I said, there's positives to it and negatives. But I think it's fantastic.
0: Yeah, it's definitely something you want to harness the power of. For sure, and try to get more into the bigger courts, right?
1: I, I mean, I, I would love it if they could. But like you said uh, in the question, I do have to prepare Maria for that sort of situation. Like, look, there's a very high probability there's going to be a lot of fans. Yeah. And just kind of prepare her for the situation.
0: Mm-hmm. Overall, what is your sense of what's happening with, with Greek tennis? I mean, specifically Stefanos Tsitsipas and uh, Maria. They're both such genuine and interesting and, and good natured people, analytical minds, great speakers. It's, um, I've become such a fan of these two players. I mean, and I know you've got an up close and personal experience being out in at Athens at times and training. Like, what is your overall take on what's happened in, in Greece and for Greek tennis?
1: I I believe that Maria and Stefanos are going to just transform Greek tennis like nothing they've ever seen before. I think both of them are going to become such huge names in the sport. Greek tennis is, put it this way, in 10 years time it wouldn't surprise me if there are more than just one female and male Greek player in the top 100. I think there could be multiple.
0: And do you base this on your experience when you're over in in Athens training? And, and what is the overall vibe over there? Seems, I, I was in Greek a couple of years ago, and already people were um, a lot of people were aware of of those two athletes. It was pretty cool to see.
1: Absolutely, everybody knows who Maria is. Everybody knows who Stefanos is. And yeah, it's it's also like you said because they're they're such great genuine kind people but also such hard workers and just the type of athlete that you want to look up to you're going to get lots of young players just trying to be like maria or trying to be like stefanos and it it can only help
0: mm-hmm. what and how much time do you get over in greece have you spent quite a bit of time over there and what do you think of the place
1: yeah i mean i'm in, I'm in Greece more than I am at home in Birmingham. Are you? Are you?
0: Not, yeah, good situation. Many,
1: many, many, many weeks more. Um, I love it there. Everybody is so kind. Also, the Greek food is fantastic. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's such a great place to train. Maria feels so so comfortable and happy to be in Greece to be at home with her friends and her family. And it's for me, I'm more than happy to travel out to Greece to a Kind of enable Maria to train in that sort of environment because that's what's going to help Maria improve. If I say no, we have to go here to train or there to train, Maria's not going to be as comfortable as she is as at home. And I'm all about doing whatever's best for the player, and it's been working so far.
0: Mm. No, I hadn't thought about that. So th- this is a decision that you you guys um, collectively came to and and had to discuss a bit about where to set up the base.
1: No, we haven't had to do that. Um, I've just always been willing to to go to Greece. I'm more than happy to go there. I love it there. The club is called Tatoy Club in Athens. It's beautiful. It's honestly possibly the best club I've ever been to in the world. And I'm saying that, like, and I've been to many amazing clubs, but it's paradise. Uh, The courts, unbelievable. Indoor, outdoor, hard and, and clay. The gym, fantastic. The restaurant everything yeah it's just so perfect for maria to to train you wouldn't want to change it
0: okay you know you can't beat a greek salad by the way this is my opinion i don't know if you feel <laughs> the same way i feel the same it's so good yeah amazing food amazing food souvlaki you can get carried away with as well
1: <laughs> they
0: just they have everything
1: <laughs> from salads to to everything it's just phenomenal
0: mm. it's pretty cool so um some current stuff i wanted to get your take on um, this wta atp potential merger how do you feel about it how does maria feel about it and what are what are some of your thoughts on what could go right what could go wrong here
1: i haven't talked to maria about it um, i don't know what her opinion is on it to be honest i think you i think it would be great i'd be lying if i said that i know all the information about it yeah. but As far as I'm concerned, the WTA players are phenomenal, unbelievable tennis players. And why not make it easier in having a combined WTA and ATP? Uh, But I'm the wrong person to really ask because I don't really know it in too much detail of the pros and the cons. I I really don't know too much.
0: Okay. Can I ask you this, though? Like, this will be just speculative. And when you look in your mind at the future a potential future with a merger what does it look like same tour different tour um, more joint offense same equal prize money everywhere it's hard for me to really envision
1: it's it's really tough to tell i i think i don't know i really don't know i think as for tournaments it's the challenge would be right now the atp has their individual tournaments the WTA has the WTA's individual tournaments and some of these sites might not be big enough to do combined events. Yeah. So I think, I think there will be more combined events if it does happen, but I don't think it'll be every tournament will be a combined event. Mm-hmm. But th- as for prize money, I don't know. I, I don't know.
0: But in your mind, because you said it was good originally, you said it sounds like a good idea. So you, what makes you feel that it would be good? It's just an elevated status for the sport or for the women in general like it'll be a step up for the women in terms of their status and how they're perceived on the worldwide scale in terms of you know being athletes and whatnot
1: Uh, no i don't don't think that the women need that at all i think the wta tour is already a a very well established tour that it wouldn't be a step up i would just see it as two brilliant tours coming together to become even stronger Mm. there's so many top wta players who have millions of fans they're very marketable they're they're huge brands yeah and bringing that to the ATP would also help the ATP so it's it's not like bringing the WTA to the ATP just helps the WTA I believe it it makes tennis stronger in general and just from a tennis perspective wouldn't it just be better but that's my opinion yes I don't but like I said I I haven't looked into it too much I've just kind of read um, but I will like kind of defend the women and say I don't think they need I don't think it's like oh WTA players need the ATP I think there are many top WTA players who are huge huge superstars already
0: absolutely I mean you can make the counter argument and look at the uh, ATP tour down the road a bit without the the big three big four um, they might they would benefit more from from what they would get out of it than the WTA might benefit. I mean, you could definitely say that, for sure.
1: For sure, for sure. But I think also just from a general tennis fan, it would be easier for all the tournaments to be similar points, uh, similar rankings, because the men get different points to the women. Yes, the men yes. have different names for their tournaments than the women. I think bring it all together and simplifying it for the general tennis fan will help.
0: Mm, there's a point that, that I like to hear. Yeah. That, that's nice to think about, you know, no more internationals with 280 and everything's kind of 250, 500, 1000 ish and streamlined. And yeah, there could still be maybe events where it's just WTA, just ATP, but it's it just kind of like one collective force sort of moving forward with a little more cohesiveness would be nice
1: it would make it easier in my opinion
0: yeah for sure i mean it's difficult i think for for casual fans to understand some of the some of the stuff that's going on in the tour in terms of points and rankings you know the it can be tricky absolutely what's the what's the valuable lesson that you've learned during this pandemic i know everybody's trying to kind of grow amidst the chaos
1: yeah I, i i think you could look at it as it's made me really, obviously I told you at the very beginning that I'm very fortunate to do a job that I love and I knew that ahead of time. But kind of having time away from tennis just makes me just appreciate the position I'm in even more. Even just the not being able to go and just practice and train with Maria because for me, I love that as well. Just being on the tennis court, helping her get better, help her become the best player that she can be. Obviously, competing is the best part, but all parts. And I could also look at it from a non-tennis perspective and think, last year I traveled 42 weeks, wow. and then I went on, on two weeks of holidays, so I'm, I'm not really getting too many weeks at home. And I've had more weeks at home just because of this coronavirus than I have probably the past two or three years combined.
0: Yeah, you got to do some reconnecting.
1: So I think that, that that's been great.
0: Yeah. And would you say you've been able to grow as a coach at all? Like, are, do, you, do you put yourself on um, a little bit of a um, – do you have homework to do? Are you, are you reading up or kind of thinking about the future and, and who Tom Hill is as a coach and, and where he's going to take this?
1: Obviously, like I said, I'm always learning and, and trying to – to become the best coach that I can be. I've spent a lot of time kind of studying the two to three players who have become challenges for, for us to, to beat and wow. kind of coming up with different ways to, to play against these players. And I think may have found a few jackpots, but wow. only time will tell.
0: Fantastic. How much of your time as a coach goes into sc- the scouting and advanced scouting?
1: hours 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 I can't even put a number on it it's it's a for example at a tournament when I'm eventually back in my hotel room I'm just, I mean it's the first thing is watching players uh, watching opponents coming up with uh, strategies I work with a, a stats guy as well and we we talk for hours just uh, coming up with ways ways to win and yeah I can't put a number on it but it's it's more hours than I'm on the court.
0: Wow. Did you learn quite a bit about this phase of coaching, this element of coaching from Thomas?
1: Actually, no. Uh, obviously, Thomas, I've learned so much from him, from a um, from his, like because he's an incredibly smart tennis coach, but more of the stat side is something that I've just kind of taken a side interest in, and I've seen, I was curious about it. I've kind of looked into it worked worked with it and the more i've kind of done it i'm like okay this is this is a potential way to take to get a step ahead of other people who perhaps don't use it
0: yeah that is that, that is um an interesting part of the sport that that i first of all i find it amazing that how incredibly gifted tennis players are that they can actually execute a strategy that you can say okay we need to do this this and that and that you can actually go out there and and put the ball in places in positions to to follow through on these and but but what i would like to ask you is what happens on the days when the player isn't able to execute a strategy do you do you always say like okay we're going to try this today we're going to try a b and c against this person but if you're not feeling the backhand or if it's not going as planned or if it's windy or such and such you can always backtrack and do this like is, is there a lot of plan A, plan B, plan C planning when you when you approach a match?
1: There's, there's obviously backup plans. We, I try not to make it too complicated. Yes. Um, I think it's very important when you first give a strategy that you say it in confidence. You don't have any sort of doubt. As if, if I were to say, try and do this, it's a little bit more kind of it might work as opposed to, okay, you have to do this. And that's a bit more like, okay, this is what I have to do. But as for, let's say, executing, and like you talked about how the players are so gifted, they are incredibly intelligent tennis players to get to where they are anyway. But they also spend hours and hours and hours on the practice court just repeating and repeating for hours these strategies. Yeah. It's not like, okay, now you're going to play high to the backhand or something like this, and they haven't practiced that. Yeah, right. No, they've practiced it for hours and hours and hours and that's why I like the slams. You get a day in between. You yeah. get to spend that day in between matches, just getting yourself familiar with exactly how you have to play the following day.
0: Mm-hmm. That's, that's very cool. Who do you think is uh, the more fit athlete, you or Maria? Oh, Maria. And I say this. I say this because <laughs> I just watched this video of you doing push-ups. Slowly and perfectly, might I add, for three minutes and fifty-four seconds, I lost count on how many it was, but that was remar- that was remarkable. I, 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 how many push-ups are you doing each day? Is this is this uh, you've got this? Um, you've got the Spartan mentality as well. It seems
1: it's it's contagious. Um, I definitely feel it's important as a coach to be in shape, and um, that that is especially being a young coach because I like to think that I'm not only her coach, but I can also hit with her, and I think that brings a whole different extra benefit to maria that i can feel her ball and tell her mm, this doesn't feel great try this uh but being fit is something that i just enjoy in general but yeah, i mean i just spend time lifting and doing weights i was i actually funny 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 story but i was lifting a lot during this um lockdown or quarantine yeah and i went for a run for the first time maybe about 10 days ago and on the first run, I, I pulled my hamstring. And I, just, I can't believe it. Wow. Uh, but that that's So that's me kind of out from running for for another few months, but yeah. that's perfectly fine. <laughs> that's,
0: that's great. Um, well, the push-ups, I must say, that, that was impressive. I mean, it looks like, I'm guessing, it looks like you can do 100 push-ups without, in, in one set. If you do them in yeah, a rapid could,
1: clip. I, yeah, I could do 100 now. I, at the beginning of quarantine, I could do 70. Oh, my um, God. And now I, I can do a hundred. But Thomas Fabiano actually challenged me to do a um, hundred double unders in a row, and that I can't do yet. So that's that's my next challenge.
0: I right, give it time. Give it time. All right, I'm going <laughs> I'm I'm to hit you with um, one one or two more questions on the same topic, if that's okay. Absolutely. On court coaching. First of all, what do you feel about the switch which we really didn't get to experience much and how we've, it was talked about, it was news that was broken that you're able to now coach at everywhere but the slams from the stands. What do you think of those new rules and um, how is it sort of, you guys are always looking for an edge, right? How, what is your strategy and how do you implement that? Is it? Do you see it as important?
1: I think it depends. Um I think if a coach has done their job properly, the player should not really need uh, to have constant communication with the coach. The player should be very clear with what they have to do. If they need to change something or if something's urgent, you can tell them, but that's when you have the on-court coaching. Mm-hmm. I do like the idea of being able to communicate, even if you want to tell them something non-tennis-related. Yeah. The problem I found is, and it was very new, because it only started in Dubai, I believe. Yes. But there are a few kind of courts where just the location isn't properly kind of planned out. When Maria was playing against Sabalenka in Doha, I was sitting pretty much in the seat next to Tersinov. So me talking to Maria, Dimitri mm. can hear everything Everything I'm saying. Right. So that kind of defeats the purpose a little bit. And if Dmitry can speak in Russian to Irina... That's a bit of an advantage. I don't understand Russian. Yeah, for sure. um, but again, I think if a coach is with the on-court coaching, if a coach has done their job and pro- properly planned the player for plan A and then a backup plan, yeah, it doesn't. You don't need to be talking after every single point. I think that's too much.
0: Mm-hmm. And do you find it tricky overall going between? There is on-court coaching at at the at the. Mandatory and international events, and then you go to the slams, and there's not. I mean, how do you prepare an athlete for, some, for these drastic differences between events, especially when the, the big event the slams the biggest event? It doesn't have the on court coaching. Like, it's got to be somewhat tricky to kind of go between those two.
1: Absolutely, it's, it's been a challenge that I've been working with Maria for two years now. And in Australia, you know, it was the first time where I started kind of like writing notes for her to actually have in hand with plan A, plan B, plan C like yeah. just backup plans that she could look at she didn't need it every match but I remember against Madison Keys, she, she told me that it really helped her ah.
0: um,
1: the positive thing with the, the slams is like I said earlier you get a day in between matches Yes. so there's you get more time to properly plan and practice the way you want the player to play if you're playing in a tournament where you're playing a match every single day, you can finish a match at six, seven. have to quickly do media, stretching, uh, go to dinner. By the time I get back to the, the hotel, I have very little time to come up with the perfect strategy for the, the, the following day. And some people could be thinking, oh, but you probably should already have the homework on, if you're playing this person? And the answer is I do. I have notes on every single player on a WTA tour, but you have to make sure that those notes are still relevant. If I have notes from a month ago on, let's say Ashley Barty, right, I have to confirm that those notes are still accurate because the last month, she might not be feeling a certain shot.
0: Yeah, that's so true. It's it's uh, the evolution of what you need to focus on is it has to be really up to date, right? And with the encore coaching, another question, that I'm always fascinated with is like, does anybody out there, if they had their choice, they would go without the mic, right? I mean, it's um it seems like the mic is for television and what you guys need to do would really be better if it was confidential. I get it for the for the for the fans and I think it's been a good thing, but it's also another we're talking about having on court coaching at slams and, and not at other events. This is another tricky thing that you guys have to navigate.
1: I always find myself having to think kind of like five seconds in advance of what I'm trying to say to make sure I don't uh, say any bad words because you can forget that you have the mic on. Yes. Uh, But then I think if you're going to have on-court coaching, it's good for the fans to to hear what's being said. As a fan myself, when I'm not watching Maria, I'm just watching other WTA matches – I enjoy listening to the coach and player dialogue. So I honestly don't think my conversations with Maria would change too much. I mean, maybe there'd be the odd, more bad word thrown in every now and again. But at the end of the day, I am not really bothered about what I say as long as what I say helps Maria win. That's To me, her winning is the only thing that matters. So whether I talk tennis, strategy, psychology, motivation – it it wouldn't change yeah. just because I have a mic or if I don't have a mic. Okay.
0: Because I always get the feeling there might be secrets or things you want to say like, hey, look, she's going to fold here. She always does. Remember what we talked about? And then, you know, things that you would pay for when when all of a sudden this, the footage goes on Twitter or maybe secrets that you wouldn't want to reveal, things that you kind of knew about an opponent that maybe the opponent didn't even know about themselves and these kinds of things.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel maybe that's why a lot of my court coaching videos go on Twitter is because <laughs> I really... I don't filter it. I just say it how it is. If is. I've had matches where I've gone on court and I've literally said, I don't care if this person can hear what I'm saying. This is what you have to do. Because yeah, yeah. Um, I'm employed by Maria to help Maria win. I would never say anything bad about another player. But if it, if I had to say something strategic to help Maria, I'm going to say it.
0: Yeah. I think that's the best way to proceed, right? I
1: think it's the
0: only way. If I
1: If I was to come on court and hide information that i think could help maria and by hiding it maria loses the match i haven't done my job yeah i have to do my job and if my job requires me to sometimes say something that maybe shouldn't be said but it helps maria win it helps maria
0: win there you go i mean that's yeah that's that's the perfect way to look at it perfect way um gosh tom hill this has been awesome i i am so grateful for your time and i i think one thing i realize is that good things happen to good people and your rise up the ranks so far in your tennis career was kind of you know wasn't always in the cards it seemed at times, but it, it worked. And I think that has to do a lot to do with the fact that you're a good person that loves the sport and has so much passion for it. So I congratulate you on your success so far. I wish you more success in the future. I wanna say thanks for chatting and um No, thank
1: you. Thank you so much. No, I really appreciate you. You're saying, "Oh, that's really, really kind of you." And thank you for taking the time to also talk to me. I, I enjoyed chatting with you.
0: Yeah, it's really, it's really cool. And um, when do you think we're going to get back and uh, see you, see you on the job again? That's what I want. I hope
1: as I, I hope as soon as possible. I've read. I feel like I know, even as much as everyone else, or maybe not even as much as everyone else. I've I've seen the articles on Twitter from the New York Times about U.S. Open and. Uh, chartering flights and all of that sort of stuff and maybe playing Cincinnati also in New York Mm -hmm. I've read just all I've read is what everyone else has read so I just hope we get some tennis this year because I really miss it
0: This edition of the Lucky Letcord podcast is a wrap. Special guest, Tom Hill. I think we went over our time limit a little bit there, but such so much interesting stuff to talk about. What a fantastic journey he is on. Look forward to tracking him over the next few years, and um, hopefully he'll continue to move up the coaching ranks, and hopefully he'll end up coaching a number one player someday. So thanks for listening to that interesting interview. I want to give you guys a couple of reminders of where you can find us on social. First of all, we love it if you rate and review the podcast. Just go to Apple Podcasts, type in Lucky Letcord Podcast, and voila, you shall be there. You can also find Tennis Now on the web. Of course, we're at www.tennisnow.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash tennis You'll find us on Twitter at tennis underscore now. Hit us up anytime. We love to chat about the sport of tennis. Until next time, hope you guys are well, be safe, and we'll talk to you soon on the Lucky Let Cord Podcast.